0: Chapter fourteen of Aunt Jane's Nieces on Vacation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Aunt Jane's Nieces on Vacation by L. Frank Baum. Chapter fourteen. The Danger Signal. By this time the Tribune had become the pride of all Millville, yet the villagers could not quite overcome their awe and wonder at it. Also, the newspaper was the pride of the three girl journalists, who, under the tutelage of Miss Briggs, were learning to understand the complicated system of a daily journal. Their amateurish efforts were gradually giving way to more dignified and readable articles. Beth could write an editorial that interested even Uncle John, her severest critic. Louise showed exceptional talent for picking up local happenings and making news notes of them, while Patsy grabbed everything that came to her net locals editorials telegraphic and telephone reports from all parts of the world and skilfully sorted edited and arranged them for the various departments of the paper it was mighty interesting to them all and they were so eager each morning to get to work that they could scarcely devote the proper time to old nora's famous breakfasts we made a mistake uncle said patsy to mr merrick in starting the tribune in the wrong place in a few weeks we must leave it and go back to the city "'Whereas, had we established our paper in New York?' "'Then it never would have been heard of,' interrupted practical Beth. "'In New York, Patsy dear, we would become the laughing-stock of the town. "'I shudder when I think what a countrified paper we turned out that first issue.' "'But we are fast becoming educated,' declared Patsy. "'I'm not ashamed of the Tribune now, even in comparison with the best New York dailies.' "'Beth laughed, but Uncle John said judiciously, "'For Millville, it's certainly a marvel.' i get the world news more concisely and more pleasantly from its four pages than when i wade through twenty or thirty of the big pages of a metropolitan newspaper you're doing famously my dears i congratulate you but we're running behind dreadfully suggested arthur the bookkeeper even since thursday smith enabled us to cut down expenses so greatly the money that comes in never equals what we pay out how long can you keep this up girls They made no reply, nor did Uncle John discuss the financial condition of the newspaper. He was himself paying some heavy expenses that did not appear on the books, such as the Associated Press franchise, the telegraph bills, and the electric power. But he was quite delighted to take care of these items, and regretted he had not assumed more of the paper's obligations. He knew the expenses were eating big holes in the income of his three nieces, yet they never complained nor allowed their enthusiasm to flag. Mr. Merrick, who had tested these girls in more ways than one, was watching them carefully, and fully approved their spirit and courage under such trying conditions. Major Doyle, Patsy's father, when the first copy of the Millville Tribune was laid on his desk in the city, was astounded at the audacity of this rash venture. When he could command his temper to write calmly, he sent a letter to Mr. Merrick, which read, Taken altogether, John, you're the craziest bunch of irresponsibles outside an asylum no wonder you kept this folly a secret from me until you had accomplished your nefarious designs the millville daily tribune is a corker and no mistake for our patsy's at the head of your lunatic gang i'll go farther and say the paper's a wonder i believe it is the first daily newspaper published in a town of six inhabitants that has ever carried the associated press dispatches. but allow me to ask why the lonely inhabitants of the deserts of chasey county don't need a daily or a weekly or a monthly a semi-annual would about hit their gate and be more than they deserve so i've decided it's merely a silly way to spend money and an easy way too i'll be bound oblige me by explaining this incomprehensible eccentricity to this a mild protest for the major uncle john replied dear major doyle yours received have you no business of your own to attend to affectionately yours john merrick the major took the hint He made no further complaint, but read the paper religiously every day, gloating over Patsy's name as managing editor and preserving the files with great care. He really enjoyed the Millville Tribune, and as his summer vacation was shortly due, he anticipated with pleasure a visit to the farm and a peep at the workings of Our Patsy's famous newspaper. The other girls he ignored. If Patsy was connected with the thing, her adoring parent was quite sure she was responsible for all the good there was in it the paper printed no mention of the famous duel but hetty made a cartoon of it showing the lane with its fringe of spectators arthur weldon standing manfully to await his antagonist and big bill sizer in the distance sprinting across the fields in the direction of home this cartoon was highly prized by those who had witnessed the adventure and peggy mcnutt pinned it on the wall of his real estate office beside the one hetty had made of himself bill sizer promptly stopped the paper that being the only vengeance at hand, and when Bob West sent a boy to him demanding the return of the pistol, Bill dispatched with the weapon the following characteristic note, which he had penned with much labor. Bob West, sir, you beat me out of my revenge and made me look like a bag of beans. But I will square this thing some day, and you and that editor had better watch out. I don't stand for no throwdown like that. William Sizer however the bully received scant sympathy even from his most intimate friends and his prestige in the community was henceforth destroyed arthur did not crow for his part he told the girls frankly of his attempt to run away and evade the meeting which sensible intention was only frustrated by bob west's interference and they all agreed he was thoroughly justified the young man had proved to them his courage years before and none of the girls was disposed to accuse him of cowardice for not wishing to shoot or be shot by such a person as bill sizer a few days following the duel another incident occurred which was of a nature so startling that it drove the sizer comedy from all minds this time thursday smith was the hero hetty hewitt it seems was having a desperate struggle to quell the longings of her heart for the allurement of the great city she had been for years a thorough Bohemienne, frequenting cafés theaters and dance halls smoking and drinking with men and women of her class and by degrees losing every womanly quality with which nature had generously endowed her but the girl was not really bad she was essentially nervous and craved excitement so she had drifted into this sort of life because no counteracting influence of good had been injected into her pliable disposition none that is until the friendly editor for whom she worked anticipating her final downfall had sought to save her by sending her to a country newspaper he talked to the girl artist very frankly before she left for Millville, and Hetty knew he was right, and was truly grateful for the opportunity to redeem herself. The sweet girl journalist with whom she was thrown in contact were so different from any young women she had heretofore known, and proved so kindly sympathetic, that Hetty speedily became ashamed of her wasted life, and formed a brave resolution to merit the friendship so generously extended her. But it was hard work at first, she could get through the days easily enough by wandering in the woods and taking long walks along the rugged country roads but in the evenings came the insistent call of the cafés the cheap orchestras vaudeville midnight suppers and the like she strenuously fought this yearning and found it was growing less and less powerful to influence her but her nights were yet restless and her nerves throbbing from the effects of past dissipations often she would find herself unable to sleep and would go out into the moonlight when all others were in bed and prowl around with the cats as she expressed it until the wee hours of the morning often she told patsy she wished there were more work she could do the drawings required by the paper never occupied her more than a couple of hours each day sometimes she made one of her cleverest cartoons in fifteen or twenty minutes can't i do something else she begged let me set type run the ticker i can receive telegrams fairly well or even write a column of local comment i'm no journalist so you'll not be envious but Patsy shook her head. Really, Hetty, there's nothing else you can do, and your pictures are very important to us. Rest and enjoy yourself and get strong and well. You are improving wonderfully in health since you came here. Often at midnight Hetty would wander into the press room and watch Thursday Smith run off the edition on the wonderful press, which seemed to possess an intelligence of its own, so perfectly did it perform its functions. At such times she sat listlessly by and said little, for Thursday was no voluble talker especially when busied over his press but a certain spirit of comradeship grew between these two and it was not unusual for the pressman after his work was finished and the papers were neatly piled for distribution to the carriers at daybreak to walk with hetty to the hotel before proceeding to his own lodgings in the little wing of nick thorn's house which stood quite at the end of the street to be sure the hotel adjoined the printing office with only a vacant lot between but hetty seemed to appreciate this courtesy and would exchange a brief good-night with Smith before going to her own room. Afterward, she not infrequently stole out again, because sleep would not come to her, and then the moon watched her wanderings until it dipped behind the hills. On the night we speak of, Hetty had parted from Thursday Smith at one o'clock, and crept into the hallway of the silent barn-like hotel, but as soon as the man turned away, she issued forth again, and walked up the empty street like a shadow. Almost to Thompson's crossing, she strolled, deep in thought, and then turned and retraced her steps, but when she again reached the hotel she was wide-eyed as ever, so she passed the building thinking she would go on to Little Bill Creek and sit by the old mill for a time. The girl was just opposite the printing office when her attention was attracted by a queer grating noise, as if one of the windows was being pried up. She stopped short a moment and then crept closer to the building. Two men were at a side window of the press room, which they had just succeeded in opening. As Hetty gained her point of observation, one of the men slipped inside, but a moment later hastily reappeared and joined his fellow. At once, both turned and stole along the side of the shed directly toward the place where the girl stood. Her first impulse was to run, but recollecting that she wore a dark gown and stood in deep shadow, she merely flattened herself against the building and remained motionless. The men were chuckling as they passed her, and she recognized them as mill-hands from Royal. "'Guess that'll do the job,' said one in a low tone. If it don't, nothing will, was the reply. They were gone, then, stealing across the road and beating a hasty retreat under the shadow of the houses. Hetty stood motionless a moment, wondering what to do. Then, with sudden resolve, she ran to Thorn's house and rapped sharply at the window of the wing where she knew Thursday Smith slept. She heard him leap from bed and open the blind. What is it? he asked. It's me, Thursday, Hetty, she said. Two men have just broken into the press room through a window. They were men from Royal and didn't steal anything, but ran away in great haste. "'I'm... I'm afraid something is wrong Thursday.' "'Even while she spoke, he was rapidly dressing. "'Wait!' he called to her. "'In a few moments he opened the door and joined her. "'Without hesitation he began walking rapidly toward the office, "'and the girl kept step with him. "'He asked no questions whatever, "'but as soon as she had led him to the open window, "'he leaped through it and switched on an electric light. "'An instant later he cried aloud in a voice of fear, "'Get out, Hetty, run for your life!' run yourself thursday if there's danger she coolly returned but he shouted run 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 in such thrilling compelling tones that the girl shrank away and dashed across the vacant lot to the hotel before she turned again in time to see smith leap from the window and make a dash toward the rear he was carrying something something extended at arm's length before him and he crossed the lane and ran far into the field before stooping to set down his burden now he was racing back again running as madly as if a troop of demons was after him a flash cleft the darkness a deep detonation thundered and echoed against the hills the building against which hetty leaned shook as if an earthquake had seized it and thursday smith was thrown flat on his face and rolled almost to the terrified girl's feet where he lay motionless only the building saved her from pitching headlong too. but as the reverberations died away to be followed by frantic screams from the rudely wakened population of millville hetty sank upon her knees "'and turned the man over so that he lay face up. "'He opened his eyes and put up one hand. "'Then he struggled to his feet, trembling weakly, "'and his white face smiled into the girl's anxious one. "'That was a close call, dear,' he whispered. "'But your timely discovery saved us from a terrible calamity. "'I—I don't believe there is much harm done as it is.' "'Hetty made no reply. "'She was thinking of the moments he had held that deadly thing in his hands "'while he strove to save lives and property from destruction.' the inevitable crowd was gathering now demanding in terrified tones what had happened men women and children poured from the houses in scant attire all unnerved and fearful crying for an explanation of the explosion keep mum hetty said smith warningly it will do no good to tell them the truth she nodded realizing it was best the villagers did not suspect that an enemy of the newspaper had placed them all in dire peril dynamite she asked in a whisper yes a bomb but for heaven's sake don't mention it suddenly a man with a lantern discovered a great pit in the field behind the lane and the crowd quickly surrounded it from their limited knowledge of the facts the explosion seemed unaccountable but there was sufficient intelligence among them to determine that dynamite had caused it and dug this gaping hole in the stony soil bob west glanced at the printing office which was directly in line with the explosion then cast a shrewd look into the white face of thursday smith but the old hardware merchant merely muttered under his breath something about ojoy boglin and shook his head determinedly when questioned by his fellow villagers interest presently centred on the damage that had been done many window panes were shattered and the kitchen chimney of the hotel had toppled over but no person had been injured and the damage could easily be repaired while the excitement was at its height thursday smith returned to his room and went to bed but long after the villagers had calmed down sufficiently to seek their homes Hetty Hewitt sat alone by the great pit, staring reflectively into its ragged depths. Quaint and curious were the thoughts that puzzled the solitary girl's weary brain, but prominent and ever-recurring was the sentence that trembled upon Thursday Smith's lips. It was a close call, dear. The close call didn't worry Hetty a particle. It was the last word of the sentence that amazed her. That, and a new and wonderful respect for the manliness of Thursday Smith, Filled her heart to overflowing. End of chapter 14